Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words. In this episode, we visit with Pamela Fagan Hutchins, author of Snaggletooth, the latest in the Patrick Flint mystery series, a spinoff from the What Doesn't Kill You saga. While on a trail ride with his family, Patrick witnesses a plane crash in the Bighorn Mountains. Guided by his moral compass, Patrick embarks on a journey to find the down plane and any survivors. What he finds is not what it seems, and he learns that not everyone is worth saving. USA Today bestselling author Danielle Girard had this to say about the book transports the reader deep into the mountains of Wyoming for a thriller that has it all. Wild animals, criminals, and one family willing to do whatever is necessary to protect its own. Pamela Fagan Hutchins writes with the authority of a woman who knows this world. She weaves the story with bold, nail-biting suspense and a healthy dose of humor. You won't want to miss it. My name is Landis Wade, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm a recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories, and I really appreciate you being here with us today. You can find out more about me at my author website, LandisWade.com, and I'd love to have you visit. For all things related to the podcast, check out CharlotteReadersPodcast.com. You can find a lot of great resources there. We have show notes of every episode with pictures of the authors, photographs of their book covers, links to their websites and social media, and more. And we have the community blog there. It's a collection of readerly and writerly content provided by writers in the community and authors who've been on the show. And you can sign up for the book report at our website, charlottereadspodcast.com. We send it out every two weeks. It's free. We don't spam you. That takes way too much time. We just keep you updated on what's going on with the podcast, provide a dose of inspiration, provide some free content from time to time, some links and other fun stuff related to the uh, reading and writing world. We're a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, a collection of author-hosted podcasts putting out uh, this kind of content to a worldwide audience. And you can find us pretty much anywhere you like to listen to your podcast. You can also check out our Patreon page. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. This is a place where we provide exclusive content uh, for our supporters. For just a few dollars a month, we provide access to exclusive audio interviews between me and authors who have appeared on the show where they share their wisdom about uh, writing and the business of writing. It's a great way to get a good education if you're a lifelong learner like I am. But enough with this prologue. Let's meet today's author. Pamela, welcome to the show. Landis, I'm excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, and this is great because... Uh, you know, you're a podcaster. I'm a podcaster. You write books. I write books. You were one time a lawyer. I'm, I was one time a lawyer. Uh, how does that happen? <laughs> oh, man, I don't know why so many of us uh, attorneys uh, end up putting former before our title. And so many go into writing as well. Maybe it's that we have to have a great imagination to zealously represent um, some of our clients. <laughs> yeah, I like to think of myself as a recovering trial lawyer. So I'm, I'm still <laughs> through that process. Well, uh, you're my second guest from Wyoming. Um Craig Johnson appeared on the show for our 100th episode a year ago. So uh, I, I love having you uh, on the show from Wyoming. Tell us about the environment that uh, you write and play in. 
Well, I happen to live in the most beautiful place in the world, just saying. Um, I live on the eastern face of the Bighorn Mountains at about 6,000, 7,000 feet in an old, rustic, off-the-grid lodge. And my husband and I literally run it six months of the year still as a lodge, which is a joyful experience. Horses, uh, bear, mountain lion, elk, moose. I'm looking out the window to see what's out there today. You name it, we get it. And uh, it's just fantastic. That and, you know, when we go out to dinner, we do run into Craig Johnson. So there's that to love about yeah. living here as well. And of course, he'll talk your head off. So you'll be there oh for, my like, gosh. <laughs> for like three hours, right? <laughs> I always laugh that when you have him on a podcast, you say, hello, Craig. And that's it. <laughs> you know, you're exactly right. When we did the hundredth episode, it didn't take much. It was like, uh, yeah, tell me your name, and and then ten minutes later, you're you're laughing and having a good time. You know, oh, he's uh, hilarious. We did an interview once in a bar um, in Buffalo, Wyoming, on a Friday morning, and it was it was perfect. It was the perfect place for him to just riff. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah. Now, do you go to the Longmire Festival? Have you done that before? Uh, I have done it once before. It's a lot of fun. It's crazy. What I love about it is that Craig and his wife support the community so hard. And this festival is it's a draw, a multi-state draw of tourists into this area that love the show, but that also fall in love with what makes the show special, which is the setting and the, and the characters, which are, of course, drawn from the wonderful people of this area anyway. So he's a, a one-man ambassador for Northeast Wyoming, and we love him for it. Exactly. And and, and speaking of uh, a, a place, a wonderful place to live uh, and write, you set uh, this book, Snaggletooth, uh, in this in this setting, uh, you you send them up into the mountains and where things can happen. So I assume you've been up into those mountains that you're writing about. Yeah, I think one of the most fun things about writing in the Bighorns is that I take my locations very seriously and I scope them out either on foot or horseback or by plane or whatever it takes and decide whether or not what I'm wanting to do is feasible. And it, that's to me just one of the most fun parts. For Snaggletooth, I actually went up with my mom and my dad and my husband. It was a killer hike. <laughs> and we um, we really scoured the area and planned out how we would crash a plane, rescue people, et cetera. And it was fantastic. I try to go also in exactly the same season the book is set so that I really have the smells and, and what's growing and, and things like that down as well. You mentioned uh, your, your father. Um which this was going to be a later question. I'm just going to jump to it now, but you've got uh, this Patrick uh, Flint series and uh, just talk a little bit about how he was born. And uh, I think it has something to do with your father. It sure does. Um, I had I, a few years ago, I was in the middle of writing three different books at the time. So I was like multiple personality disorder writer. And my dad calls and my, and my dad had been given a very grim cancer diagnosis with three months to live. And I just, we all went into a tailspin. And as a writer, the only thing I could think of was that I wanted to write a book that was him, him and a part of his life where, um, where he would want to picture himself as the hero. So I took our family back to the 1970s where we lived in Buffalo, Wyoming. And I, um, 
pulled his fantastic stories, weaved in a murder kidnapping plot and wrote as fast as my fingers could write, thinking I've got three months to put this in his hands and I'm going to deliver the kind of book he likes. He wants a hopeful ending, a flawed but likable hero who cares about his family. He wants bad guys who do terrible things, but that we don't have to read about pedophilia or sexual deviancy or stuff right on the page, serial killers. So I wrote to order, literally. And I handed him the first book about the time his doctors were scratching their heads saying, you're still alive. (laughs) Now, Mm -hmm. two years later, he is doing great. He has an open-ended diagnosis now. What he has is not curable. He can't go into remission, but he's kicking its butt. And now he really enjoys collaborating on these 1970s (laughs) books. And he'll argue with me about Patrick's motivation and (laughs) whether Patrick is misunderstood and, you know, things like that. That's great. And, and, and you kind of these characters that you've created, uh, you said you kind of pattern them after your family and you, and you go after Trish, who's the young and at least in this book, Snaggletooth, she's what, 16 or 17. And right. she's kind of getting into boys and she's being a troublemaker with her parents. And so is that the young uh, Pamela Fagan Hutchins? It really was. I would love to say that I was a better kid, but I was <laughs> terrible for my parents as a teenager. I hope I've made up for it. <laughs> Maybe these books are my are my last uh, ditch effort to get in good with the folks, but I was a t- rotten teenage girl. Um, my younger brother, Paul, who is a retired colonel and uh, Cobra pilot in the Marines, is the character Perry in the books. He was always a bit heroic and and comes off that way in, in the books as well. And my mom, Suzanne, in real life, is the only one who kept her name in the books, is pretty true to form as well. Yeah, well, they're all, they all have a big part in the in the book. I mean, a lot of times you know, there's a protagonist, they've got a supporting cast, but all of these characters are playing a part and uh, bringing justice uh, to the page, you know, through the process, which is really good. But it's it's a it's a departure a little bit because I was looking at your other series and, uh, you know, we've got uh, the Caribbean based Katie Connell, the Texas based Emily Burnell, the Texas based Michelle Lopez, the Wyoming based Maggie Killian. The uh, the Caribbean based Ava, but that, that those are all females. Yeah, exactly. I had just embarked on this female protagonist journey, um, starting with a character named Katie Connell that lived in the house that was mine in the Caribbean. So that really the book started with my house in the Caribbean and wanting to tell some of the fantastical stories that came out of there. And you know, twelve years later. I've written a bunch of female protagonists, suspense, mystery, thriller books, and then along comes my dad's illness, and I started doing this multi-protagonist because, allegorically speaking, what I wanted to symbolize was that the family all had a role in loving him through whatever his difficulties were, that he might be a strong man, but strong men can get sick, they can ask for help, they can make mistakes, they need their family, and so that's what I was trying to show. And it became the thing with these books, which, you know, I'm going to laugh and say, my mother had always told me, Pamela, if you would 
take the cuss words out of your books, your readers would appreciate it. And it's not like mine were littered with F-bombs. It's just, she said, really, people can imagine things in, but they can't imagine them out. <laughs> and um, and I'm like, okay, okay. I don't want to write those, but okay. Well, I write these books and I'm getting all these letters from fans saying, thank you for writing a clean, exciting story. I can imagine things that happen off the page, but I don't have to be assaulted by your F-bombs and your sex scenes, et cetera. And I'm thinking, those are fun to write. Anyway, <laughs> um, so uh, it has been one of those, whatever your mother says, you know, yeah. <laughs> turns out to be right. And, well, and I've enjoyed it. Well, I had fun because I noticed that uh, when you put on your web page information about those series, you've got PG-13, PG-13, you got R, you get, you're sort of letting the reader know, okay, this is what you're going to get into. And, and so did you start with the uh, romance side of things or did you start with the mystery side or which one? I, I kind of started with straight up women's fiction. And when I started um, showing it to other people, they said, but you killed somebody in the first chapter. That's called a mystery. And oh, okay. And so um, what was women's fiction in my mind became, if you will, women's fiction mystery, which there is no category for on any you know bookstore or shelf or sales site. But you do find a lot of books classified as romantic mysteries. And at heart, all my books are romantic. Even the Patrick Flint books I believe are romantic in the sense that people love each other and they do things out of love. And so I would happily kind of reclassify this romantic mystery and, um, and have kind of embraced it. But what's been funny about these Patrick Flint books is that I'm getting a lot of male readers who don't want to be told they read romantic mystery. And, and, you know, <laughs> when it, whenever it hits the bestseller list, it's like Lee Child, Lee Child, Pamela Fagan Hutchins, you know, <laughs> Lee Child. And, um, and kind of a men's adventure fiction is what, um, what this has performed best in. But go figure, you know, I just wrote what I wrote, wanted to write when I wanted to write it. And the readers, I guess, by their choices have ultimately kind of categorized it for me. Yeah. And one of the things I want to share with our listeners is that you are a very successful, independently published author. We're going to talk a bit more about that in the writing life segment of this uh, episode. But, uh, you know, you, you've written these series and, and did you start writing like most lawyers do? You're looking for an outlet, you want to do something a little different? Or did you start with this idea that you were going to build this backlist of 15 to 20 novels? I thought I started with the idea. Well, it's a kind of a cute story. Here we go with romantic. <laughs> My husband and I are each other's second marriage. We've been married for 15 years. And when we were engaged, he said, what do you want to be when you grow up, essentially? Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, well, you know, I am the a general counsel for a refining company. I think I'm doing okay, honey. But he said, no, really, what, what dreams are left unfulfilled for you? I said, okay, I want to run a marathon and I want to write a novel. So on our first anniversary, we ran a marathon. And on our second anniversary, he said, where's your damn book? <laughs> <laughs> and so I wrote um, a, a novel based on our lives in the Caribbean and our house in the Caribbean and kind of presented it to him as a joke. And I was like, monkey off the back did it. And he kept pushing. He used to own an independent bookstore in another life. And he's like, you've got it, hon. You've really, you don't understand. You've got it. You've got to do this. <laughs> so um, I did. And I didn't envision it as anything. I, I used to write as an outlet, you know, as a lawyer, I had all these hundred page, not finished books, but it wasn't until he said, you know, quit being so scared of, of fulfilling your dreams, go ahead and do it. And, and somebody had somebody that believed in me that really pushed me that I started doing it seriously. And about three years in, I quit my day job. 
Yeah, that's amazing that you're able to do that. Uh, You've written a book, uh, What Kind of Loser Indie Publishes and How Can I Be One Too? (laughs) Yeah. I I love the catch because, you know, you've got this language in here, you know, um, so why do we write and why do we seek to publish? It's not a path to riches and so forth, and uh, nor can we just help it. Uh, We write because, you know, we have to, but it's a scary business. And you've sort of taken this business by the tail uh, and made it your own. And uh, does that come out of your uh, discipline being a lawyer and trying to figure things out? Does it come out of, you know, I don't know, where does it come from? I think it comes from my dad. Um, yeah. When I was a young child, my parents married very young. I was um, their baby when they were babies. And so my dad was a young doctor and he started a clinic that when I was still in high school, the clinics had gone public. He was super successful, but he did it at an age when other people were still thinking that they weren't grown up enough to do that. So I kind of grew up with the idea of you you do for yourself. And Lord knows I've had plenty of help along the way. So you know, doing for myself is doing it with all the benefits and, and privileges and help that I get. But I very much had the mindset of take the bull by the horns. And so when I was in my late 20s, I started a consulting company with a business partner that still exists and um, chair of the board of directors on it. Now it's all former employment attorneys doing uh, employment practices, investigations and the like. And um, and I started writing with the same mindset. Originally, my husband gave me a, a guide to literary agents and said, we're going to do this. Yay. Six months later, after we'd been researching it and and after I'd gotten all these um, full requests for the first round of manuscripts I sent out. I mean, it was going great. Won the Writers League of Tex- Texas manuscript contest with the first entry I ever sent them. You know, things like that. And I'm thinking, oh, this is great. I'm, you know, I'm going to I'm going to kill this. And we're about, you know, three months into it, six months into it. My husband says, the more I learn about this business, the more I learn that it's not a place for con- control freaks to be happy. And you're a control <laughs> freak. And he said it with a lot of love, um, but I'll help you. But you're going to be seriously unhappy. And if anybody can do this, you can. Again, that encouragement. And I'm thinking, so what you're saying is you don't believe in me. I'm a loser and we're going to throw out an ebook, and that'll be the end of it. But if that's what you really think, that's what we'll do. Anyway, it, it went really well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you, you've become a USA Today bestselling author, Silver Falchion winner. You've got uh, all these novels out there. You've got... I don't know, 13,000 some, you know, book bub followers. Uh, we're going to be talking listeners. We're going to, after this is over, we're going to jump over to Patreon and we're going to talk uh, marketing and book selling with uh, Pamela Fagan Hutchins. Uh, so join us there at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast uh, to get the ins and outs of how that works. But, and it takes a lot of discipline to do it. Hey, one more thing before we jump into the book here with the reading. Uh, in your words, you describe yourself as a wannabe barrel racer, afraid of going fast, an eater of ribeye, a rescuer of dogs, a fangirl podcaster, and the author of all these uh, best-selling mysteries. So uh, you're around animals, right? Oh, man, yes. My husband wants to kill me. We just uh, we just picked up a, a giant Malamute puppy that uh, is our latest, I want to say rescue. We did have to pay a little bit for her, but she was the runt of a litter that refused to be picked, growled and would charge people that wanted her. And we heard about her and we said, 
no problem. We'll take the vicious dog. Anyway, she's a big pussy cat. So um, it's isn't that the way it always turns out when you give them the home they were looking for. I've got a Belgian Malinois that was a rescue, a washout from um, military training. I've got a one-eyed Boston Terrier, a couple of feral cats, uh, and and some really spoiled draft horses. So um, we, we donkeys and goats we had to leave in Texas a few years ago, but you name it, we've had it. <laughs> and, and you've got uh, this lodge there, which you uh, also use uh, to, 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 to rent out to, to people that want to come experience that <clears throat> beautiful environment. And you sometimes run uh, rider workshops there, right? I mean, what better place I, to have a workshop? It's so idyllic. And uh, it unfortunately haven't been able to do that because of COVID for the last year. So we've done these super boring um, three day, you know, <laughs> face Zoom. each other on Zoom calls. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, but we've kept it going, you know, the, the education yeah. and the community outreach process with other writers. But the, I tell you, this this lodge living off the grid for starters has been amazing. Um consciously knowing what you consume and how to conserve it, et cetera. You know, my husband and I are both refugees from the oil industry as well. And so people laugh like, you know, people from the oil industry living off the grid. It's like, you know, everybody wants to do their part. <laughs> this is awesome. But we've loved running the lodge. Uh, I thought I'd hate it. I thought it would be intrusive and, you know, having this whole house filled with strangers would be you know, yuck. But instead, people bring their joy here, their family reunions, their getaways and stuff like that. And I have plotted more than one, um, you know, scene from a book off of things that people have done and said here. <laughs> well, that's good. You're, you're almost like Lonesome Dove because you started in Texas, you ended up in Wyoming. Of course, they ended up in Montana in yeah. that book. But uh, yeah. Oh, look, let's don't, let's don't uh, dawdle any longer here. Let's get into the book. We've got uh, Snaggletooth. We've got a cover here with a plane that's going down in the in the mountains uh, of, of uh, Wyoming. And, and you see sort of the mountain range in the background there. Uh, you've got an opening read you're going to do where we give voice to our written words. This is this is near the beginning of the book, as I understand. Is that right? It is near the beginning of the book, and it is to set you up with what's happening. Um, Patrick Flint and his teenage daughter, Trish, have um, flown from Buffalo, Wyoming, where they live, across the Bighorn Mountains, across the state, to the western um mountains near Du Bois, or they're landing in Du Bois at the airport to drop off a piece of medical equipment that they're donating to the Wind River Reservation. And they're meeting somebody there to drop off the equipment. And so they're coming in for a landing. So I'm going to cut us into the book. We're in the um, second chapter. And we are with Patrick and Trish, and we're landing a plane in the mountains in Du Bois. Patrick lined up the plane. When he was parallel with the end of the runway, he cut the throttle all the way back, pushed the stick slightly forward, turned on the carburetor heat, and started his glide. He made a 90-degree banking turn to the left, recovered, then made another to line the tri-pacer up with the runway. Airspeed looking good. He kept his neck loose, checking for other aircraft and birds. When he was 15 feet off the ground, he applied slow back pressure on the stick to break the glide until, when the plane was about two feet off the runway, the stick was all the way back. The aircraft settled onto its tricycle wheels and he moved the stick forward. Slowly, he began to bleed off speed. Perfect. A few hundred feet ahead, he saw a dark splotch on the asphalt. At first, he thought it was a shadow, but as he drew closer, he could tell it was three-dimensional. 
an animal? He couldn't choose a course around it until he knew whether it would move and in what direction. The propeller on the tripacer's nose was lethal, of course, but impact with a critter could result in a dangerous broken windshield or worse, flip the small aircraft. He stepped on the brakes as hard as he dared, not wanting to send the plane cartwheeling from its own momentum. The tripacer shuddered and shimmied, and he fought to maintain control. Dear God, don't let me wreck this thing. It's not even paid for yet, and I've got precious cargo. Trish had been sleeping, thankfully, but she woke up with a start. Her voice panicked. What's going on? Hold on, Patrick said through gritted teeth. Ahead, the figure loomed closer. It was low to the ground and completely stationary. Had another plane already hit it? A dead bison? Or moose? A small bear, perhaps? What had seemed dark from hundreds of feet away now revealed itself as blue, red, and black. The blue perplexed him. It wasn't the color of an animal, except for maybe a blue roan horse. Maybe the blue was a tarp or a bag. He gauged the distance on either side. There was no room to pass without veering one wheel off the pavement. Too dangerous at this speed. He considered opening the throttle, pulling back on the stick and hopping over it, but decided not to risk it. He was out of room. There was no longer any reason to focus on whether it was moving. He had to double down on stopping. Thank God he was piloting a tripacer. The little plane was the next best thing to a helicopter when it came to short strips, and this strip had suddenly become very, very short. With only feet to spare, the tripacer jerked to a standstill, nose tilted down. Patrick wiped sweat from his brow and exhaled. He'd been so focused on stopping that he had almost forgotten about the figure that had made it necessary. Now he couldn't see it. Dad? Trisha's voice was taut. Patrick glanced over at her. Her eyes were huge. What is it? Are you okay? You saw that, right? You saw the man in the runway? The man? She nodded. He looked... dead. A dead man? On the runway? It was hard to believe. Maybe she thought she saw a man, but it was probably a deer. He had to check it out. Stay in the plane. Patrick turned off the switch, advanced the throttle to full forward, then closed it. He opened the lightweight door, not waiting for the propeller to stop spinning, something he would not normally ever have done. He climbed out and jumped to the ground, peering through the distortion caused by the blades. He still couldn't identify the figure. Giving the propeller a wide berth, he ran around his aircraft until he could see the figure in front of it. And to his surprise, he saw that Trish was right. It was a man, with an emphasis on was, an American Indian, and what was left of him wasn't a pretty sight. The end of that chapter. <laughs> that, that is great. I, I love, um, you know, books that start out and just leave you with this uh, page turn. Okay, what the hell's going on here? What happened here? <laughs> and and you emphasize the word was, but I'm, I'm curious, uh, where did you learn about flying? Do, have you flown in that part of the country? Yes, my um, growing up years were barfing in a paper bag in a um, in a little Cessna beside or behind my dad, actually. And um, he would fly us up into the mountains and then swoop down the sides. We would, and this could get us in trouble these days, we would occasionally, you know, get behind a herd of animals and watch them flow. Um, it was one of his favorite things to do. I hated it. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, you, you are then true to the Trish character because that's exactly what Trish was doing in this opening scene. She had the bag in, in her lap, right? <laughs> yeah, but I do have that ace in the hole with my dad for all scenes, medical, wilderness, hunting, flying, you know, you name it. He's um, He's quite the outdoorsman and he really enjoys that part of our collaboration. Yeah, so um, a little bit more about the book and what's going on here. Uh, we've talked about some of the characters. We've got uh, you know, Patrick, one of the protagonists, the doctor, his wife, uh, Suzanne, who's very much uh, his um, equal, She, at least in solving what's going on in this particular book. And then, and then the two children, they're very uh, strong, too, in this, in this plot that's going on. Um, and so as this is moving forward, you know, is this part when you do these series, uh, Pamela? It looks like you brought some information from the previous book. I'm assuming because we have a character who is in jail for trying to murder uh, the youngest boy in the family because he had witnessed something, and now in this book she escapes from jail, right? And that's what's creating some havoc here. It's creating some havoc. If anything, this is a dual plot book. Right, right. The plot that's in the mountains with Patrick and the kids. And we have Suzanne, who was back in Buffalo, uh, planning on throwing a not a baby shower shower for a friend that was adopting uh, the daughter of this incarcerated, soon to be convicted um, murderer that had gone after Perry Flint. Um, this uh, tr- uh, Barb Lampkin, who, by the way, is named after a reader. I did a mm. reader contest and this <laughs> poor woman won the short straw because she got a murderer named after her. <laughs> anyway, um, Barb Lampkin has escaped from jail. And so we have a whole subplot where Suzanne, all on her own, has to um, try to go after a murderer and and save her friend's baby. And for me, this was a breakout book for Suzanne because she'd been strong despite herself in other books. This time she chose her path. She went assertively after somebody. And I've actually really enjoyed progressing Suzanne through the books as she has grown from a young mother, not working outside of the home, married to a doctor, to going back to college, to, you know, solving her own mysteries, to standing up to her husband um, when he's uh, making bad choices and and basically um, creating the woman that my mother became from the woman that she was. Mm, that's great. And so you've got some beta readers here who actually are patterned, people who are patterned after your character. So you, are you getting some uh, interesting feedback that you have to say, no, wait a minute, come on. Yeah. I, you know, it, it's when I get people that, um, that uh, become characters or at least their names, I always say, okay, here are your choices. You can be the bad guy or you can be this whatever character. Most people want to be the good character, but I had this woman that said, do with me what you will. And she's become a, I think three books and counting now bad guy. And she loves it. Oh my gosh. And this woman is this tiny little spitfire and and she literally i'll say okay she's about to do x all right are you still good with this and you know she's gonna have a baby in jail you want it to be a boy or a girl you know (laughs) we have fun together so she's become i've really made some good friends out of beta readers over the year one of the things i think is an is i think especially as an indie author is that we start with a need to connect to readers instead of a need to to not be connected to readers, if that makes sense. You're down in the trenches with them. And so I have literally 
um, great, great and not so great experiences with, with readers, but mostly great in the sense that they become friends, super fans, supporters, and and with one notable exception of a stalkery type that uh, <laughs> we won't go into. Right, right. <laughs> but, yeah. but that was book fodder. <laughs> okay, well, that, that's true. That give you, that give you some ideas. So, uh, and the what if for this book, um, where did it come from? Um, I, there's a mountain near here, uh, named Bomber Mountain and Bomber Mountain was the site of years ago, a plane crash, uh, a military training exercise. And so, you know, it was named after the, um, the crash that was there. And I was always fascinated with an idea of a, of a plane going down in the mountains. And I also am very fascinated with Blacktooth Mountain. There's a brewery, a good brewery in town named after the Blacktooth Mountain that you can see from Sheridan, just this monolithic, you know, black granite against the sky, beautiful peak. And I wanted to combine something with black tooth with um, something with a plane crash. Planes are very special to my dad. So, you know, it was a little of everything. But the but the what if of what happened, my husband and I collaborate on these books. And, you know, mm-hmm. because there's been 20 something now, um, we really talk through what kind of murder would be semi-unique to this time period in this area would be something within the scope of what our characters would interact with and is unique from what we've done in the past in any of the other books. So we start with setting, you know, the setting drives the murder, and then we try to be creative. So we talk about natural resources, the book before this in the series, the mystery uh, and the murder had to do with a, a gold find um, in 1970s Western Wyoming. We talk about the wildlife. We talk about the types of people, the types of leisure activities, you know, everything and think about what kind of murders would be here. And I also read true crime. I have a friend that is a um, uh, volunteer park ranger with the uh, volunteer national forest service person is a better way to put it. And she wrote a great book about murders in the Bighorn mountains. And I've, I borrowed a few plots from there. <laughs> well, that's okay. Well, you know, uh, I really enjoyed the book. It's fast-paced. It's interesting. I, I love the setting because I love, uh, you know, the West. Uh, I've been out there a number of different times, Montana, Wyoming, and uh, as a fly fisherman, I've done that. I've done the hiking. We took our kids when they were young to Yellowstone and did all that. And my son must have gotten interested so much that he now moved to Denver, and that's where he's living his life and loves that part, part of the world. But uh you know, so you, you do you do put us in the setting. I like the idea that you talk about setting because setting can be a character too, right? I mean, it's it's right. uh, some sometimes we think of characters as people only, but uh, an interesting setting can also draw readers to you even more so than the plots, right? I believe that wholeheartedly, and I think for me that was driven home from the very first novel that I um, that I wrote the. Uh, first Katie Connell book, Saving Grace, was set in a house we'd owned in the Caribbean, in the rainforest in the Caribbean. And people were just so drawn to the setting. And I realized what a big impact it played and that that, if anything, was going to be a big part of me and the what I wrote going forward. I'm very fascinated by um, the way that history, agriculture, uh, religion shapes an individual area. My Silver Falchion winter book was based upon 
the influence of the wind um, religious refugees from Germany and, and the impact they had on um, these central Texas communities and vice versa. So, you know, for me, it's always been a huge fascination. Mm. And I think you see that with the Patrick Flint books, even though with these, we started with a family, we started with characters. We also started with a time period and, and setting that was important to them. And you cannot be in Wyoming without being blown away by the vast sky, the wildlife, the ruggedness. I mean, this place, our lives, you know, living in an off the grid house on the face of a mountain, um, our neighbors and uh, everyone that ever encounters it call our road the goat path. It is very, very steep, very narrow, uh, big hundred foot drop off the side, dirt road maintained by us. And whether we go to the store this week is determined by weather, you know, whether or not I have connectivity to the outside world. And I feel like we're so in touch with it in Wyoming and we're so dependent upon each other. And, and those things really influence a story. I mean, you know, you look at some of the other um, writers that we all love to read coming out of Wyoming, like Craig, uh, mm-hmm. Johnson, like CJ Box, and and you can see the same unavoidable um, inclusion of setting as something larger than life. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just Wyoming is Wyoming is awesome. I, I'm personally very infatuated right now. At, in the year after COVID, um, the t-shirts came out. We were getting all these people that wanted to escape the cities and escape COVID. And we didn't have a COVID problem here until the end of tourist season. But, you know, for us with our lodge, it did not slow down at all during COVID. It was it was people begging to come. But we now have shirts in Sheridan that say Wyoming isn't real. And uh, <laughs> we're trying to get the message out. And that or Wyoming is full. Yeah. <laughs> They'll be turned away at the border. <laughs> we don't we don't need any more. Uh yeah. Uh so okay, just uh one one last writing life question before we end this and jump over to Patreon. I asked this to, of, of authors who've written a number of books. And uh the question is uh, if you could tell your younger writing self something of value that would uh, help that younger writer based on everything you've learned over this process, if you could boil it down to anything, uh Pamela, what would it be? I think that I would tell myself to live, live hard, live fully, gather experiences, gather people, gather characters, if you will, and to take better notes of all of it. <laughs> but, you know, to me, the best books that I read are the ones with the most depth, whether it be a fast paced thriller, mystery, suspense, or a, you know, beautiful work of literary fiction. What to me sets a book apart is depth and authenticity. And, and, you know, to a certain extent, those are marks of a a student of life, um, Mm -hmm. who's then able to tell a story. You can, um, you can take classes to, you know, learn how to write better. You can practice to develop your voice, but you've got to get out there and live. Yeah. Great advice. And take that notebook with you. And if you're a visual person like I am, I, I think take your camera and take pictures and, and yes. help you help you remember some things as well. So, all right, well, look, this is uh this has been great listeners uh, jump over. You can join us for a, uh, for a little more discussion about uh, what it's like to market as an indie author and sell books that way. So uh, that's at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. Maybe it'll cost you a cup of coffee a month to join us. And uh, you can check out all this great content we've got. Um, 
Hey, Pamela, look, uh, thanks for joining us on Charlotte's podcast all the way from Wyoming, my second author from Wyoming. I'm so happy to put you on here, like just like Craig Johnson. Awesome. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice, because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.